Hey there, I'm Sarah K. Hoffman, a holistic health coach and chief gutsy of a gutsygirl.com. I went from bloated, gassy, and infertile to living my best life with a strong microbiome and a very full house. On this show, no topic is too stinky to discuss and everything can be broken down into practical, digestible takeaways. So grab a cup of bone broth, veggie broth, or a soothing golden latte if you prefer, and come along as I show you how the number two might just be your new number one. Hello, thank you for joining me for episode 80 of the A Gutsy Girl podcast. My name is Sarah K. Hoffman, aka A Gutsy Girl, and your host for this show. In case this is your first time hanging out on the show with me, welcome. I am the founder and chief gutsy of both thegutsygirl.com and guthealingsupplements.com. My guest today was on podcast episode eight. You loved him so much and wanted more, so I brought him back on. More so today, purely coincidental, his book, The Gut Smart Protocol, is releasing. So who is he? Dr. Vincent Pedre is the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness, CEO slash founder of Happy Gut Life LLC, has worked as a nutraceutical consultant and spokesperson for Nature MD, and is a functional medicine certified practitioner with a concierge practice in New York City since 2004. He believes the gut is the gateway to excellent wellness. His newest book, The Gut Smart Protocol, featuring a 14-day personalized gut healing plan based on the Gut Smart Quiz, is the culmination of years of research and clinical experience as a functional gut health expert. Please welcome Dr. Pedre to the show. Welcome to the A Gutsy Girl podcast, Dr. Pedre. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you because I feel like we follow each other on Instagram and you are a kindred spirit in the gut space. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this actually before, before we got on this call. You are known in the sphere everywhere as America's gut doctor, correct? That's what they say. <laughs> I love that. And I don't even know, how did you get that name? Like, where did it come from? I think actually it was my Instagram team who decided that they were going to bless me with that name and no one else had claimed it. So there you go. There you go. Well, you've earned it. And I absolutely love talking to you and my audience loves listening to you. So thank you. since you were already on episode eight of this podcast, which seems like 105 years ago, we don't need to dig deep into who you are and what you do also because most people know what that is. But I would love if we could just start this conversation off by having you share what you have been up to this past year. Oh my goodness. I've been living and breathing, putting together what I think is one of the best books on gut health that is coming out on April 4th. And for those of you listening in real time, today is April 4th. So after this conversation, we're going to talk more about the book, but I'm sure you are going to want to run out and go get it. So since you've been doing that for a whole year, living, breathing, I know what it's like to write a book and it's just like all, it's so intensive, but also just absolutely incredible. That's pretty much been your year. <laughs> That's been my year is uh, finishing the book, planning that 
And really also just having fun on Instagram, engaging with the audiences, you know, making funny reels when I can, <laughs> trying to keep it light while doing some really heavy lifting. Because as you said, writing a book is a process. And when I write a book, I'm thinking about how can I help people in the best way possible, in the most complete way possible that answers all the questions that I know that they're going to have when they encounter the information in this case about the gut and the connection between the gut and the rest of the body and the gut and the brain. And then how can I make it as practical as possible? I've got to say, writing a book is a multi-person effort. And I had an incredible team of editors and support that all helped create a book that I think is really approachable. I mean, in the words of one person that I spoke to, they said, it felt like you took me by the hand and you were guiding me every step of the way. And it felt like an old friend. I love that, especially because while we always want the, you know, the very educational information and the how to's, we always want a friend along with us on along the journey too. And so often there's that disconnect in books where it's just, you know, let's get down to the nitty gritty versus I'm also a human that's writing this book that can empathize with you. And I had that journey, you know, like my passion and my love for gut health started with my own story, which I talked about in our first episode together. But more importantly, you know, as a doctor, because I've been in their shoes and I've been both the doctor and the patient, I didn't want people to feel that they're being talked to. I want to talk with them. Okay. So before we talk and get more into detail about the book, the focus that I want to start with is on gut dysbiosis. And the reason I want to start here is because this is a topic that seems to be coming up more and more. And a lot of gut health, gut healing books, they ultimately, maybe not directly, but in an indirect way, I'm sure yours does as well, will address that. And so first of all, can you help us understand what does it mean to have gut dysbiosis? Yeah. And I actually do talk about it in this book. It's a very important concept to understand because gut dysbiosis for many people is the first domino that tips that then starts a chain reaction that leads to chronic disease, that leads to leaky gut, that then leads to inflammation, then leads to the development of all sorts of chronic disease in the body. So it's very important to understand what is a dysbiosis and what causes it. And in very simple language, a gut dysbiosis is an imbalance between good and bad gut bugs. It's not that everything we have in the gut is good. So there is in that ecosystem, you know, I sometimes think of it like a forest, like this complex ecosystem. There's going to be some predators. The thing is that in our gut, you want the good to outweigh the bad. And when certain predators take over, that's kind of like the definition of a dysbiosis, the overgrowth of bad bacteria, the overgrowth of yeast, parasites, there could be worms, viruses. So when the gut ecosystem has shifted into an abnormal state, one that is not consistent with health and wellness, that's what we call a dysbiosis. And it's very important to understand because dysbiosis is that first domino that tips for a lot of people 
that then sends the entire cascade of problems, creates the problems that then lead to every chronic degenerative disease that people suffer from. Okay. So speaking of problems and the idea that this is the first thing that happens, it's a domino effect. Let's talk a little bit about symptoms. So I want you to share what some symptoms might be, but also something that's really fascinating to me is that you talk about the difference between gut-centric and gut-related symptoms. So if you could also break that down, that would be super helpful. Yeah. When people think of symptoms related to their digestive system or their gut, when I'm saying gut, I'm talking about the entire digestive system, not just the stomach. They're usually thinking abdominal pain, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, cramping, gas. And those are what we call gut-centric symptoms. Though they're symptoms that are happening inside and related to your gut. But there is a whole host of symptoms that we call gut-related symptoms that happen in all other parts of the body that you might actually, when you have these symptoms, you're going to think, well, they have nothing to do with my gut, but they actually have everything to do with your gut because the gut is the root system of the body. In the same way the roots are so important to the health of a tree, the gut is one of the most important organ systems in our body. It's, it's probably been the one that's been least glorified and least looked at as important in the last hundred years, especially in allopathic medicine. And yet now we're shifting backwards. We're almost going like winding the clocks back a hundred years to when naturopathic medicine was the more predominant medicine practice in this country, where they do understand the gut is the foundation. The gut is the cornerstone of our health. So we know if you have a gut-centric symptom, if you have a dysbiosis, you're having diarrhea, you're having abdominal pain, that's pretty obvious. But what's not obvious if you have allergies, you've got asthma, you've got headaches, you have mental fog, you can't put thoughts together, you, you have trouble remembering things, you're developing autoimmunity, your thyroid is starting to attack itself, you get respiratory infections over and over, it seems like you're always getting sick. And these are all things that we call gut-related. You can't lose weight. You've put on pounds and you just can't seem to get rid of that spare tire in the middle. And you're doing everything and you think, well, what am I doing wrong? Well, have you looked at your gut? You looked at the gut microbiome, at what's happening inside the gut lining, because all of these things are related to the gut. And that's one big point, and thank you for asking this, that I want to get across with this book, The Gut Smart Protocol, is that a lot of the symptoms that people are experiencing are actually gut-related, even though they think they're not. And the big problem is, is that they go to their doctor and they get medication for their headaches, medication for their allergies, medications for their asthma, medications for their skin rashes, for their eczema. They get topical creams and no one ever talks to them about the fact that have you looked at your gut health? Have you looked to see if you have a gut dysbiosis? Have you looked to see if you have leaky gut? And all of that is the fire that's fueling. It's the fuel. It's the wood in the fire, actually, that's fueling the flames of inflammation in the entire body. One question I have along with all of that is, what percentage do you think of patients do you see that come to you that don't have any gut-centric symptoms, but they might have that just related symptoms? And they come to you and they're like, 
I, you know, I have all this acne and my mind's not very clear, this, that, and the other. How often does that happen? Or does that never happen? Because if you don't have a gut centric problem, you're not going to any sort of gut doctor or you're not even mentioning it. So it depends on which doctor's office you walk into. And it's a really big paradigm shift that I think we need to put into the collective consciousness because you can have gut-related symptoms without having any gut-centric symptoms. And obviously, most of the people I see because of my specialty and what I do, they're coming in because they had a gut issue and then inevitably they've got gut-related symptoms. But I've also had those patients walk in through the door with joint pains, with hives, with fatigue, just general body malaise, almost like fibromyalgia-like, who didn't have any gut symptoms whatsoever. And yet their issues were actually stemming from gut imbalances and from food reactions and from leaky gut and from parasites in the gut that once we dealt with the parasites, the skin cleared up, the hives disappeared, the energy came back, the joint pains disappeared. And obviously every case is different and it's not quite as simple. But when you see these cases, you're just astounded that you know, a person could have an asymptomatic parasitic infection that also exists where you can actually have a parasite, but you don't have any symptoms that you recognize that are being caused by the parasite, or you have yeast overgrowth, and yet you don't have any recognizable symptoms to you that you've got a gut issue. But maybe if you look at your tongue in the morning, when you wake up first in the morning, you'll see a white coating at the base of your tongue, which is the part closest to your throat. And that's a sign that you have yeast overgrowth. And it can also be a sign that you have dysbiosis in your gut. Fascinating. So obviously most of the people, I would say 90% of the people that are listening today, they definitely have the gut-centric symptoms. But it really makes you think about all of the people that could be getting help in so many other places of their lives and their physical ailments if we would just get back to that root, the gut. Absolutely. That's a huge paradigm shift because we have been a culture of treating the symptom and not looking at the root cause. And we've got to shift that mentality. So many in the gutsy community have SIBO, which if this is your first time listening, SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. But I'm wondering if you can explain the difference between a bacterial overgrowth like SIBO and gut dysbiosis. Is it just the fact that with gut dysbiosis, there is an imbalance regardless of where in the gut it's occurring? So SIBO is a type of gut dysbiosis, but it's not the only type of gut dysbiosis because you can have a parasite that's living in the large intestine or small intestine without having small intestinal bacterial overgrowth that has a very characteristic set of symptoms that are usually lots of bloating, severe bloating that happens starting maybe about 20 minutes after a meal, going on to 60 minutes, even 120 minutes after you eat. It can be accompanied by either constipation or diarrhea, depending on the type of SIBO. What a lot of people don't realize is you go to your gastroenterologist and you get a breath test for SIBO but you're only being checked for hydrogen and methane most of the time. So you're only being checked for two potential gases that might be produced as a metabolic byproduct 
from bacteria in your small intestine that have overgrown. But there's a third type that can exist and it's hydrogen sulfide. And if you're not doing a breath test that has all three and you come back negative for methane and hydrogen, and yet you have significant symptoms, it's very possible that you have hydrogen sulfide, SIBO, and you're going to be really sensitive to sulfur-based foods that are going to support these bacteria. I actually had that, but correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there a test or some way now that they do test for hydrogen sulfide? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But it's not like the main one is still just methane and hydrogen. Most people are not using that test and not all the labs are doing a tri breath test. The one lab that I, and I have no relationship with them, so I'll mention it. It's a trio smart breath test and they check for hydrogen, methane, and hydrogen sulfide. Whereas a lot of the labs are still kind of stuck in the old ways and they're just checking hydrogen and methane. Yeah. If my SIBO ever relapsed again, which it won't, I'm confident it's not going to, but if it did, I would be very adamant that I had the one with all three of them. Absolutely. And anybody out there, you know, and this is where you have to become a really shrewd consumer and know, you know, just be really good about asking questions. Like a very simple question could be to your doctor, is this the right test for this? Is this the only test we can do for this? Are there other tests? Okay. So you already briefly mentioned leaky gut, but when we talk about dysbiosis, leaky gut is always a common topic that comes up. So how do you personally describe leaky gut in the most simplistic terms? And what does it have to do with our overall health? Leaky gut is probably the key foundational issue that leads to a whole host of chronic degenerative diseases in the body. So you have to think of your gut lining as this semi-permeable membrane, kind of like a coffee filter. And imagine, you know, when you go to those artisanal coffee shops where they do the pour over coffee and you put the coffee grinds in the coffee filter and then they're going to pour the hot water through. And then you get this beautiful filtered, scented, coffee scented water, coffee infused water on the other side. So you can imagine that that coffee filter is your gut lining and that the coffee grounds are the food and the food digestion products and the bacteria in your gut. And that filter is keeping out the coffee grinds. So what comes into the cup, which is kind of analogous to what's coming into your body is just the pure nutrients. You don't want to get any coffee grinds in there, right? You don't want to drink coffee with coffee grinds. That's kind of disgusting. Now, let's take that same coffee filter and let's poke a whole bunch of holes on it. Let's put like 100 tiny holes in the coffee filter. Then let's put the coffee grounds on again and let's pour that hot water through. So it's kind of like mimicking the process of digestion. But what's going to happen now because that coffee filter is no longer homogenous. It has holes in it. And those holes are going to allow the coffee grinds to get through. Well, that's similar to what happens when your gut becomes leaky. All sorts of inflammatory substances that should be kept out of the body that are packaged in the stool and part of the bacteria that are in the stool and things that are released by bacteria in the large intestine, for example, something called endotoxin gets through that gateway and it powerfully activates the immune system. In fact, They've found that people with leaky gut, they can actually find bacteria and bacterial DNA in their blood leaking through. And that activates a whole inflammatory cascade, not just the immune system, but endotoxin, which I talk about in the book, 
will activate inflammatory pathways in the liver, in your muscles, in your brain. And as a result, it leads to a whole host of inflammatory changes, including insulin resistance that will make you put on more fat in the middle. And then those fat cells that get built in the middle of your abdomen as a result of this leaky gut. And maybe you've been on antibiotics, you've got more dysbiosis, uh, you're stressed out, so you're eating comfort foods and you're eating a lot of carbs and your body's just gonna turn that into fat and the more fat you have in the middle, the more that fat is also gonna put out cytokines, so uh, signaling molecules that are the same ones your immune system puts out to signal that there is an invader, that there is inflammation to activate immune response and before you know it your body your immune system is overactivated and you're developing an autoimmune disease that's one of the things that's so interesting so i don't know if you know but i wrote a book on leaky gut and when i was really heavy in research with it was when i started to realize like dysbiosis you know really what a cascade of events happens when the gut is leaky and just the idea that so many problems manifest when there's one thing that sounds as quote unquote easy or simple as leaky gut manifests in the body. We don't realize the impacts that it has on our life. Yeah. And for people to understand, dysbiosis is often what precedes leaky gut. And the reason for that is because our good gut bacteria help support the integrity of the gut lining and they help support the mucus layer. So there's certain bacteria that actually help keep that gut lining intact. And there are other ones that attack it and make it the gut lining become more leaky. So dysbiosis is one pathway to leaky gut. And what causes dysbiosis, one of the most common causes is antibiotics. That was going to be my next question was what's the difference between leaky gut and dysbiosis? But it sounds like it's really just a matter of what kind of happens first. And then is there any other major differences? One is about what's happening with the gut lining. And the other one is really what's happening to the gut microbiome. But they're both interrelated. So a lot of times it's dysbiosis that's happening first and then leading to increases in gut permeability or leaky gut. And then it just becomes this feed forward cycle. And there are other things that can lead to leaky gut that are not dysbiosis as well. So a very common one is over-the-counter pain medications like ibuprofen, NSAIDs. They increase gut permeability. Alcohol increases gut permeability. So when you go out and you have a few drinks, you're increasing your gut permeability. The birth control pill also tends to increase gut permeability. So there are a lot of other factors that people might think just this part of normal day-to-day life that you think it's okay, and they don't realize it's affecting them in a negative way. One thing that is interesting, other than the NSAIDs, is you had mentioned how you have seen that antibiotics precede the dysbiosis. I'm curious if and when someone has to go on a course of antibiotics, because let's be honest, almost everyone does at some point or another. What are a couple things that you usually recommend to people that they can do either during the course or right after to really hopefully help so we don't get to the dysbiosis stage? And antibiotics obviously are a big onslaught on the gut microbiome. There are other things like a poor diet, like eating too much sugar, drinking too much alcohol, being under high stress for long periods of time. All these things 
will affect the gut microbiome and affect the gut permeability. So there's a lot of pathways to this. But when a person has to go on antibiotics, and sometimes people have to go on antibiotics for extended periods of time for like a tooth infection, or maybe you have Lyme, maybe you have some other chronic infection, maybe you have a parasite. So we understand that sometimes, like you said, antibiotics are sometimes inescapable. You have to go on them. What's important is to understand the antibiotic comes with a consequence. Whether you see it now or not, the consequence is going to be there. The effects of being on antibiotics may not be immediate, but they're additive over time. Like a course of Cipro for a urinary tract infection just for five days will cause a dysbiosis that can take up to 12 months to resolve. So only five days of Cipro will have caused ramifications that are with you for 12 months. So one thing that I recommend to people, and this book is more about a personalized 14-day gut healing plan. So I don't go a lot into supplements in this book. For that, I went into in my first book, Happy Gut. But one thing that I really love because there's a lot of research around this particular probiotic, it's actually a friendly yeast. It's called Saccharomyces boulardii. So you can take it even while taking an antibiotic because the antibiotic is only going to kill bacteria. It doesn't kill yeast. And it's been shown in studies to help with traveler's diarrhea. It helps protect the gut lining and maintain the integrity of the gut lining. It almost like it coats the gut lining. So I'll have people take Saccharomyces boulardii during the antibiotic course, as well as afterwards as part of a healing regimen. I also like to use a probiotic. Generally, depending on the type of antibiotic, I might use a pretty high potency probiotic, like 50 billion, 100 billion. And that can be something that's either started while on the antibiotic, as long as you're not taking it at the same time as the antibiotic, you're separating it by several hours. But more importantly, after the antibiotic, and usually for at least a month, if not more, depends on what your starting point is. Those are awesome. Yeah. My daughter, she actually is on a course of antibiotics right now. And I'm always doing all the things because I get so paranoid, just every all the research I've done. I mean, it's like you said, it's sometimes it really warrants it, but just to be able to do everything that you can so that hopefully it doesn't take 12 months to return to some sort of normal state. And there's so many things that you can do with the diet. So much great research has come out. When I was writing the book, Stanford University had just completed a study with a small cohort of people where they compared a fiber-rich group to a high-fermented foods group. And they were looking at measures of microbial diversity in the gut. Now, for anybody who's hearing this word, you probably know what diverse means. You know, like there's a lot of differences in there. So when we're talking about the gut ecosystem, when we talk about diversity, diversity is the holy grail. It's what you want. What studies are showing is that the lower the diversity, the more likelihood there's going to be some sort of inflammatory bowel disease. There's going to be some sort of a chronic inflammatory disease in the body. So the greater diversity is associated with not just a healthier gut, but a healthier body and mind. And so they were looking at a fiber-rich diet versus a high-fermented foods diet to see which one did better. The interesting thing they found was that the fiber-rich diet modulated the immune response depending on what the person's baseline microbial diversity was. For the fermented foods group, what they found was that the fermented foods increase microbial diversity. Again, remember I said that diversity is the holy grail. That's what we want. So the fermented foods helped improve microbial diversity, 
but more importantly, they lowered 19 different inflammatory markers. And they were looking at not just regular blood markers for inflammation. They were looking at white blood cell activation from cytokine signals and seeing if those were reduced by eating fermented foods. And it correlates with the other things that we learned from people who had COVID and that fermented foods actually, the more fermented foods they ate, it correlated with a less severe case and less likelihood of hospitalization. What I hate about this study is they pegged two really important interventions for the gut against each other. And I don't think it's about fiber versus ferments. I think they probably should have had two more groups in this study, one where they combined fiber and fermented foods and another group that was a control group where they just gave them general dietary guidelines, but without having them increase their fiber or ferment. But what we do know is that we can use diet as well to improve microbial diversity and lower inflammation in the body. And by doing that, we're also improving the gut border. And you can also include things, I didn't mention this, but bone broth as well as a way to help heal the gut border. One of my favorite topics ever is bone broth. I am obsessed. I have been obsessed since 2008 when I learned how to make my own and I am a huge fan of it. So thank you for mentioning that. I was, I was listening to you talk about that study. I was thinking that exact thing. I was like, I don't understand why they would do fermented foods versus fiber foods when they could do one or the other against something else or put them together and go against another pair. Is that a study that I could find online to read? I think it'd be really cool and interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a study that's referenced in my book. It's a study done by Stanford University. And I have a section in my book about like, what's the best diet for gut health and just kind of like musings on that. There's actually another study that came out at the end of the year. It was a study where they did exactly what you just said. They put the ferments and the fiber group together. So they took a whole bunch of volunteers. It was on 45 people separated into two groups. And these were healthy individuals who, you know, were reporting different levels of stress. So they were looking at, does a diet rich in fiber and fermented foods improve stress scores? So they did a baseline stress score on these people. And then for four weeks, they had an intervention group and then they had a control group. The control group just got general dietary guidelines. They weren't told to eat more fiber or eat more ferments. Whereas the intervention group was told to eat five to eight servings of fiber per day along with two to three servings of fermented foods per day. For people listening, like fermented foods could be yogurt, they could be kefir, they could be dairy, they could be non-dairy based, they could be sauerkraut, they could even be vegetable brine drinks where you're just drinking the liquid, the fermented juice from vegetables. And so what they found was that in the fiber and fermented foods group, their stress score dropped by 32% compared to 17% in the other group. And the difference was statistically significant enough to say that a diet high in fermented foods and fiber had an effect on mental health. Now, this study was done on healthy people, and I think they should repeat a study like this on people who report anxiety and looking at what is the effect of this type of diet on their anxiety levels. But I think it's moving in the direction that I actually talked about in my book when I was reflecting on this Stanford study and saying, you know, I don't think it's about fiber versus ferments. I think it's really about both. And it's finding the proper balance of both to be in the diet 
and not all are right for everyone. And that's why I developed the Gut Smart Quiz because, as you know, if you have severe gut issues, you might not be able to tolerate fermented foods because they might be too histamine forming for you because your gut is not able to process histamines. I think it's also important to know your gut type and what your gut can manage at that point. All fantastic points. So I personally am so excited to fully read through your book. And I think it's going to be just a wealth of information and so much in alignment with the things that I believe. To that end, I want to talk a little bit more about your new book, The Gut Smart Protocol. Can you just share like the general overall what's in the book? The book starts with a foundation explaining what the gut is about. I talk about gut dysbiosis. I talk about gut-centric, gut-related symptoms. I talk about the microbiome. I actually call that chapter the microbiome revolution because I think we're in a revolution of how we understand how the microbiome affects the rest of the body in ways that I think will surprise people. I think they'll realize how much more powerful our microbiome is, even though we're the ones who control it by how we eat, how we lead our lives. In a sense, the microbiome is also in control of so many other processes. And then after building that foundation of knowledge to empower people to understand why, then I get into a quiz, a gut smart quiz that will tell you what your gut type is, whether you're mild, moderate, or severe based on a score. And then from there into the practical, what do you eat? What's in, what's out? And I divide foods into three different categories, mild, moderate, and severe. The cool thing is I created these food lists and the severe is obviously the most limited one. It's You can only eat from the severe list if you're severe. But if you're moderate, you can eat from the moderate and the severe list. And if you're mild, you can eat across all three lists. And then I teamed up with a chef who has actually been a best-selling author in Australia on cookbooks related to gut health. And we created recipes that are divided into the three different categories, mild, moderate, or severe. So everybody has a ton of recipes. We've got 65 recipes in total that can be mixed and matched. And some of them are adaptable. So I tell people how they can adapt it to another category if they're in one category or the other. And then I end the book... After all that and giving people meal plan and all that, I end the book talking about the gut-brain connection and how important that is for turbocharging their results because I think it's an often neglected piece of the whole puzzle is how stress affects our gut. And it can be a wrench in our healing process. You can be thinking that you're doing all the right things. You're taking the right probiotic, the supplements you're taking leaky gut formulas, you're eating all the right foods, and yet you still don't feel right. And you're wondering while you inhale your food at your desk, your day is just rush, 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 and you never give yourself a moment to breathe. So I teamed up with a group of meditation and breathwork teachers and came up with meditations and breathwork for gut healing. And actually one of those, uh, it's funny how things are serendipitous. I was looking to team up with I wanted three for each, three breathwork exercises, three meditation exercises. I actually teach an exercise on deep diaphragmatic breathing in the intro chapter to that section. But the third meditation teacher kept promising that they would get to me and then they couldn't. And I was at the moment when I just needed to finalize that chapter. And I just looked at myself, I'm like, wait a second, I've been meditating since I was 21 years old. Why do I need to go to a meditation teacher to write this third meditation? <laughs> I'm going to write it. 
And maybe that was the universe, you know, putting up that block. This person kept promising yes, but then disappearing on me. And at that point, I just decided, you know, I'm going to create a meditation and I'm going to use a meditation that I've used for a very long time. That is the Tibetan loving kindness meditation that is about giving yourself love and then sending that love vibration out to the world. But instead, I'm going to change it. And I'm going to call it the gut love meditation because what I've noticed working with patients with gut health issues over the years is that they develop this adversarial relationship with their gut and they start feeling like their gut is their enemy. I've come to realize that if you don't change your mindset, you can't heal your body when you hate your body. You've got to start loving your body. And in order to heal the gut, you've got to start loving your gut. So I created this meditation called the gut love meditation that is all about sending love to the gut and the gut microbiome, love and gratitude and appreciation for everything that it does. And when my editor saw the meditation, she wrote back to me and said that the gut love meditation is her favorite. I love that. I am so excited to just really comb through the book in detail I love the outline that you have, and it sounds like a lot of topics and questions that you are hitting on in this community, things that people wonder about, have questions about, are concerned about. I think that's incredible. Now, you had mentioned that you teamed up with someone to create some gut-friendly recipes. That's super cool. Could you share like an idea or a concept from the book of one or two of them? Yeah, absolutely. And also, the book has some really beautiful pictures in it, color pictures of the recipes. I'll tell you a couple. We created a couple of bone broth recipes. Some of them are a mixed bone broth. And also, I'm also wanted to be sensitive to people who maybe don't eat animal products. So we also have a vegetable broth as well. We created a happy gut granola and several different smoothies. One is called the blue breakfast smoothie. And it's blue because we use blue spirulina, which is so rich in minerals and supports detoxification. It makes such a beautiful color. And it's one of the pictures in the book. We also have a hazelnut banana smoothie that is delicious. And some other really great recipes like a turmeric cauliflower, a beef pho that is delicious, and a whole bunch of other, I'm just going through my head, like a roasted root vegetable recipe, and we tried to incorporate spices like turmeric and ginger, things that are gut healing spices. And that my friend who is the chef and also now a clinical nutritionist, uh, she was getting her clinical nutrition training while we were working on the book together. She's in Australia and her background is part Indian. So she brings in like a very worldly array of different foods, which I love because the recipes have an international feel to them. I'd love to hear what you think of the recipes and what you try and how it comes out for you. I know I was writing them down. So I'm thinking, hmm, which one am I going to try since I have your book right now? I'm like, I'm going to go look them up and give one of them a try. I'll let you know for sure. I'm sure they're fantastic, especially if it has a lot of different culture influence. I love pho. My auntie makes the best pho, but I'm sure it's great too. <laughs> and then anything with turmeric obviously is just... Like you said, the great thing about herbs and spices and really just kind of getting curious about cooking with them 
is that they're so great for reducing inflammation and for helping with so many things on the gut healing journey. And plus, it makes everything just taste so much better. Yeah. And I talk about some of the healing spices like turmeric, ginger, fennel, and their benefits with gut health in the book. So before we start to wrap up, I'm wondering if there's any final thing that you wanted to say about the book. One thing that was really important for me in this book, in this second book about the gut that I wrote, was taking all my experience working with patients and seeing that no two gut patients were the same. Some had more severe issues, some milder issues, some moderate. And I wanted to capture that in this book and give a voice to those people and let them know that they are seen. Because I think a lot of times there are a lot of health books out there that are a one size fits all. You follow the plan and then you wonder, why isn't it working for me? Well, it's not speaking to you individually. So not only did I build that into the book through a quiz that helps you figure out not just through gut centric, but also gut related symptoms, how dysfunctional your gut is and how much it's affecting not just your gut health, but the rest of your body. So it's going to give you a read on that. So it's almost like a test on yourself to see where exactly are you in your health. But then it gives you the tools on how to manage eating, depending on if you're severe, moderate, or mild, which I think is really important, like recognizing those differences. And then on top of that, I really wanted to give people tools. So there's a whole section on intuitive eating And I talk about before meal intuition, during meal intuition, and after meal intuition. And these are really important types of intuition for people to develop that are on a healing journey, whether it's a gut healing journey, whether it's physical, mental health, because that intuition is wiser than anybody else. That embodiment, being in your body, understanding your body, listening to what your body wants and knows is right for it is stronger than what any doctor can tell you, what any health expert can tell you, because your body is the wisest part of you for you. Yeah. It's that whole empowerment that I really try to impress upon this community. Okay. So where can we find this book? Everyone can go to gutsmartprotocol.com. It's got all the links there. So you can go from there to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, just take you directly to wherever you tend to buy books. And there will be bonuses there as well that people can download that will be available to them. We've extended the bonus time because it was part of the pre-order, but we decided to extend it. And so they can get bonuses there. And they're going to also find some surprise resources that are in the book, including, should I give it away? Today's your launch day. You might as well. Yeah, I might as well give it away, right? (laughs) So... Not only are you going to be able to read the, the meditations and breathwork exercises in the book, but I interviewed all of the contributors and you're going to be able to follow along and listen to the actual person leading you through the meditation or the breathwork exercise, which I think is really powerful. And that's all going to be on the Gut Smart protocol, or that already is, I should say, because I know this is going out April 4th. That is on the Gut Smart Protocol website as an additional resource for people to use because I know the power of meditation and breath work, but I also know that sometimes it's hard to do it on your own. Sometimes you need someone to walk you through it, to guide you through it. 
And so I got each of the teachers to come on with me and guide people through their breath work, through their meditation exercises. And I'm just thrilled to be able to share that with everyone who reads the book. Super cool. And everyone now is running to grab their bonus so that they can get a little bit of Zen time into their day. So at the end of my interviews, I always ask my guests for their three convictions around gut health and gut healing. But being as you've already shared yours on episode eight, I'd like to ask you a different question. Since you are one of the leading experts on irritable bowel syndrome, can you share any recent research or finding as it relates to the top ways for healing the gut? Yeah, I think that a lot of the research is first pointing at the importance of the nervous system as a factor in healing the gut. And a lot of people who suffer from gut health issues tend to be the types that are nervous, that have a hyperwired nervous system, that get activated easily, that get into that fight or flight really easily. When you're in fight or flight, your body cannot heal. So a lot of the research is catching up with what we've known for thousands of years, that the breath and breath work is the avenue. It's like it's the portal by which you can control your nervous system, that part of the nervous system that seems to be out of your control that kicks in when you're stressed and your heart rate goes up and your face gets flushed. And most people are walking around living in that hyper intense state, but your body cannot heal in that state. You've got to get your body into a parasympathetic relaxed state where you're activating something called the vagus nerve, which is one of the most important nerves that relates to the health of the digestive system. And when that vagus is activated, your body can feel safe. And when your body feels safe, it can start to heal itself. Awesome. Yes. And I think your research also is really indicative too of what we are talking about in the gutsy community because people are really starting to talk about the vagus nerve, the parasympathetic versus the sympathetic state and how we achieve more of the rest and digest and all the things. And what I love about that is that it's not just research on this is the latest pill that will help you to put a band-aid over a huge problem that you have. Exactly, because you can't out-diet and you can't out-supplement. And I will add, you can't out-medicate a stressed-out lifestyle. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Pedre. And to you out there, thank you for joining us. I will see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you.